As usual, I asked our guest Hayden Winks to pound the table for someone this offseason. Hayden, who you pounded the table for? I did this last year and it did not work out, but I'm not afraid to double dip. I'm going with Tyler Higby. He's going as a tight end 10. I have him all the way up at tight end 7. And I don't want to be leaving uh, underdog drafts right now without a, a strong tight end because I'm so over trying to find the late round <laughs> tight end. Those guys never pay off. Tyler Higby, he was top 10 in PPR points over expected per game. He was top 10 in yards per route run top 10 in passer rating when targeted. So he was still very efficient last year. The problem is when they went to 12 personnel, Gerald Everett was the guy that was lining up detached from the line of scrimmage. Tyler Higby was attached to the line of scrimmage. But I see the Rams going back to more 11 personnel. And even if they stay in 12 personnel, I think that Bryson Hopkins, who's the tight end two currently, is going to be the better blocker and that Tyler Higby could be kind of unleashed as this passing bat or passing tight end. And obviously, we just think the Rams offense is going to get better with Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff anyway. So I think that Tyler Higbee, among the guys that aren't being drafted uh, inside the top five at the position, has a chance to break into that tier. Awesome, awesome. Listeners, you heard Hayden. Go get you some Tyler Higbee and avoid the barren wasteland that is the late round tight end position. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the very affable Chris Allen. Chris, always a pleasure. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing all right. I appreciate getting a chance to talk ball again with you. It's been a couple of weeks. But, of course, we've got the wonderful Hayden Winks sitting here talking with us today about best ball, about landing spots for some of the prospects, best ball mania tournament that's going on right now. So I'm excited to get into it with both of you guys tonight. Awesome. As you mentioned, we're excited to have Hayden Winks on the pod on the podcast today. You can find Hayden on Twitter at Hayden Winks. Check out his excellent content at Underdog Fantasy. He's also the host of the Underdog Football Show, which is a great podcast. Add it to your listening rotation. Hayden, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, like you guys mentioned, doing the Underdog Fantasy podcast with Josh Norris. I'm so sick and tired of him victory lapping about his damn mock draft if you guys haven't heard about that but uh once once josh can shut up about that then we can actually talk some football over there so uh hopefully some of you guys join us it's definitely been fun uh on a recent episode uh you guys did a challenge option during uh during a draft you guys did like a, a best ball draft where you could challenge a pick made by the opposing drafter force them to change their pick i love that wrinkle how did you come up with that idea yeah, so Josh and I were doing a mock draft, I mean, talking about the mock drafts again, uh, where we were going to rotate picks, but I, I wanted just to like, I just didn't want to do a regular mock draft. So this is how we did it. We just had one challenge each. If we didn't like the other person's pick, then we would challenge it. Unfortunately, he said Trey Lance at pick three, and I used my challenge uh, to go uh, get Mac Jones. And of course he was right. Uh, and then he's since then just been dragging me for like the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think we could translate this to a fantasy draft to like a 12 team, a uh, normal redraft or best ball league where each drafter gets one challenge. I, I would love this. I think this would be great. This would be really funny. This seems like a, a randomizer thing with Peter, Peter Overzet. But yeah, I think that uh, it's, it's just a, a good wrinkle to, to kind of mess with your co-host. Awesome. Check out everybody listeners. Check out that show. Check out all the show. I'll put up the link in the episode show notes. Uh, Hayden, before we get into best ball, I wanted to do just kind of a quick uh, little icebreaker segment called I want to call it movers and shakers. Uh, I want to talk about players that I expect to either rise or fall in ADP at underdog. Uh, now that the draft and free agency is completely gone. I want to ask, uh, what do you expect the new price to be? And are you buying? Let's start with risers. 
Uh, Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis, I kind of grouped them together because I expect both of them to rise up to that like fifth round area. Uh, is that about where you expect to pay and are you paying? Yeah, so I think both of these guys are going to move up a couple spots, but there is the risk that if they if either of these teams sign somebody that they can tank like three or four rounds. Between the two, I'm way more excited about Mike Davis for a couple reasons. One, I just spent like the last week watching each of their tape and I thought Mike Davis was a better tackle breaker. He's more built for a three down workload and I'm chasing three down workloads in fantasy. And also the Falcons cap situation, they have negative 6.5 million in effective cap space. That's the dead, uh, dead last. And the Dolphins have a little more wiggle room. So if somebody like a Melvin Gordon um, becomes available, I think that the Dolphins would be more likely to find that veteran compliment rather than the Falcons. So for me, I have Mike Davis ranked right above Miles Gaskin, but I think that both of them are going to kind of settle in around that RB20 mix. And I think that's fair for right now. I would just be choosing Mike Davis over Miles Gaskin myself. That's interesting. You know, I didn't think about the cap aspect of that, but you're right. Like the the cap room makes a difference when you're looking at whether or not a team will make an upgrade or might do something else uh, as we get into the darker days of free agency and the season gets going. Uh, Chris, I know your thoughts on Gaskin and Davis and on Najee Harris. I wanted to ask you about Trey Sermon, who's a riser real quick. Uh, what do you think of Trey Sermon with the 49ers? He was going end of drafts in best ball. Uh, do you think, where do you think his landing spot is going to end up being? And are you buying? Uh, for me, actually, quite personally, I think Trey Sermon is one of the guys that's being overdrafted at this point because while we do look at like his fit within the 49ers offense, we know that they like to run that wide zone like blocking scheme, which it really fits in with how Trey Sermon operated when he was still back at Ohio State. All sounds great, but they still have Raheem Mostert as a part of their offense. I mean, Jeff Wilson's still a part of their offense. So even though that they're still one of one of the most like run heaviest teams like within within the league, they bring in Trey Lance. Okay, that's all great. So we love the like the the situation. But what's that opportunity going to look like within that offense for Trey Sermon? So for me, while folks still want to kind of pigeonhole him as one of the zero RB targets. Once you put that label to a running back, he continues to get pushed up in ADP, where at this point now, in a lot of the underdog drafts that I've been a part of, Trey Sermon has gone ahead of Raheem Mostert to the point where wow. now I want to take Mostert like at cost because he hasn't, he's not going anywhere at this point. So if we still think that Raheem Mostert at the very least is going to mix in or be a part of that draft, I would rather take Mostert like at, at his current cost versus overpaying for a guy that we think is at the very least going to be part of a committee. Uh, we, can, we can try and read the tea leaves, listen to notes at a camp over the next couple of months to see where, like what type of role Sermon's going to fill once the season gets underway. But for me personally, I would rather take a shot at, let's say, um, let's, let's say somebody like a Michael Carter that you might be able to get a round or two later. Somebody like that where even though he is a rookie, I can see him winding up in a similar situation, but the opportunity, one, the opportunity cost rather, is going to be much less, but also the opportunity, project opportunity for him in his offense once the season gets underway, it's much higher for a guy like Michael Carter than it would be for Trey Sermon. Excellent. So too expensive for you, Hayden. Uh, your thoughts on Trey Sermon and then also the other rookie, Najee Harris, who was going third round and might inch up here as we go. Do you, uh, where do you expect those two to go and are you buying? Yeah, I'm kind of with Chris. I think that there's a chance that uh, Mostert starts this season, and then if he can hold up and he runs as well as he does when he is healthy, then I think that Trey Sermon might be in a like 
basically even committee. So um, Trey Sermon is getting more expensive. I do think that Trey Sermon's probably the favorite for goal line opportunities just because he's a bigger back. Um, but I, I do, I am expecting this to be a committee at least to start the season. So I, I kind of like him better for dynasty more than best ball. But obviously if you're finding a running back in the Shanahan system, there's some upside. And then as for Najee Harris, I think that he could raise a couple spots, but I think that a lot of people are kind of hesitant about big Ben and the offensive line. So I think that he'll probably settle in around like the RB 12. And I think he's being drafted as like the RB 13 to 15 range right now. Um, it's just hard to pass up to the guys that are being drafted a slightly ahead of him, but I think ultimately he'll be a consensus second round pick. And I think that's probably where he belongs. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and then I want to kind of go deeper looking at Josh Reynolds and Anthony Ferkser, the Tennessee, uh, new addition at receiver and holdover at tight end. Uh, both those guys were going pretty late in underdog drafts and I was able to kind of grab them late. Uh, do you think that they're going to continue to ride to go under the radar since they didn't really do much in the draft? And, uh, if so, or if not, are you buying yeah, I believe the Titans have 48% of their targets available from last season. I think that's the second most in the league. And I think that Ferkser can actually play. And Johnny Smith had 17% target share last year. If you just take that target share and kind of put it into, into projections right now, Ferkser is like a borderline tight end one. And uh, that's not even factoring in like Corey Davis's absence. And like I don't think that Josh Reynolds is like a legit uh, NFL starter. I think he's more of a fringe player, maybe a backup level player. So I think that Ferkster out of all of the guys is the person I'm targeting for the Titans. I think he's going around tight end 16 or 17 on underdog. I have him closer to tight end 12 or 13. I think that he's somebody that should continue to rise just because the Titans don't really have anyone uh, else to throw the ball to. Excellent. Excellent. Let's go to some followers. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you about Deshaun Watson and, and I'll get Hayden's take on this too. Uh, Deshaun Watson, obviously for, for a variety of reasons is falling in ADP. I, I don't think he's quite settled yet. Uh, the Texans drafted Davis Mills, which obviously is probably just a contingency plan, but I think some drafters are starting to view that as uh, more of a sign that they're not confident Watson's going to play much. Uh, how are you approaching Deshaun Watson? Like what's your breaking point in ADP of when you, when you think the risk is worth the reward? So if if the if an option would possibly be like 200 or something like that, that's essentially what my breaking point ADP is. He seems like a guy <laughs> that I, I honestly want no part of at this point, w regardless of what the reports that we're seeing at the very minimum, we're thinking that there's going to be like a five to six game, five to six game suspension. That's at minimum. Now, we don't know if there's going to be any sort of uh, felony charge uh, like added on to the uh, the the reports or any of the other current cases that are currently with uh, with Deshaun Watson at this point. So if a, a felony also a felony charge also gets added to it, all bets are off. But at the very least, if we're talking about a a quarterback attached to an offense that we think is at the very least, I mean, their defense completely devoid of talent at this point. Offense, we do have a couple of pieces that we're interested in. I, I do think that. If we think that he's going to miss a number of games, which at the at the very least he's going to be projected for, it's just it's just a situation that I'm trying to avoid at this point. It it seems easier to me to try and uh, to try and draft some of the quarterbacks that are going ahead of him at this point, and if I can try and cobble together at least a couple of the uh, any of the quarterbacks that are going towards the back end of some of the drafts. But at this point, it's hard for me to try and make a case for drafting Sean Watson in any any format at this point. I don't think he's going to play this year. Uh, during the NFL draft weekend, there was a couple reports, I think from Daniel Jeremiah and some others, that were saying that most people don't believe that he's going to play. Uh, you also saw 
Um, the commissioner come out and say that they're investigating the matter, which we already knew about, but that they can make a decision and put him on the, the commissioner's list. And I don't think that uh, the Texans are, he's going to play for the Texans ever again. I think that both parties agree that shouldn't happen, especially after drafting Davis Mills. So I don't think that he's going to play this year. I think that the legal stuff will play itself out over the next couple months. And then next off season, Deshaun Watson can get traded. Um, but like right now, I would rather draft somebody like Jameis Winston or Cam Newton who has some theoretical upside later in the drafts rather than banking on Deshaun Watson. That makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And then uh, to guys falling for uh, less dismal reasons, uh, you know, the, the Bengals and the Jaguars both added uh, premium skill position players. The Bengals added Jamar Chase uh, while they already had T Higgins on the roster. The Jaguars added uh, Travis Etienne out of Clemson when they already have James Robinson on the roster. Uh, Higgins and Robinson, Hayden, uh, how much do they fall in your eyes? And is what's your ADP breaking point for those guys? Yeah, I think James Robinson should continue to fall. They mentioned the the Jaguars press conference. They measure or mentioned Carlos Hyde's name plenty. So like, even if James, even if Travis Etienne is this third down back, which I'm not fully convinced of, there's a chance that James Robinson is losing like goal line touches and early down touches to. Carlos Hyde just because that coaching staff is a total disaster. So I don't really want to touch James Robinson until he's in like the um, RB insurance territory. And he's not quite there yet. He's kind of in this like zero RB um, fringe territory, which I kind of want to avoid. Um, so I'm totally out on James Robinson. For T. Higgins, he's a little more interesting. Um, he had plenty of opportunity when A.J. Green was getting a ton of targets um, last year just because the Bengals defense is really bad the offensive coordinator really likes to sling the ball out and i think that t higgins is a decent player so i think that anywhere in the wide receiver three four borderline is pretty fair for t higgins he might have to uh fall a couple spots for me to be totally interested but um, i think that he's a pretty high ceiling high floor player nonetheless i like it i like it and then chris i i wanted to ask you um am i crazy for buying jamison crowder like he's in a free fall because the jets uh, are just added a ton of receivers and uh, but I kind of feel like Crowder is going to get cut and land somewhere else and and put up his usual you know 80 90 targets and 700 yards and be a quality best ball value late am I crazy for thinking that Chris no I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy for thinking that at all I realize the fact that the Jets have what about 10 million reasons to cut Jamison Crowder that's over correct the, yeah over the next <laughs> few weeks so I totally understand the fact that there's some trepidation regarding the fact that Jamison Crowder might be without a home for some time but actually Hayden if I'm not mistaken I might have heard you say this if not on one of the shows with Josh Norris but on Twitter but Jamison Crowder to the Tennessee Titans does it not seem like a fair enough fit regarding the fact that they just got rid of Corey Davis they need some help in the slot that's Jamison Crowder's role I could see that wind up working out for both sides of the fence to be quite honest and then if he winds up falling into that type of role within an offense that we know is going to be passing quite a bit I think that Jamison Crowder can still wind up returning value. So if he continues to fall, I mean, at the very least, I've been seeing him going quite late in drafts over an underdog as of late, because combined with the uncertainty in his situation, the rookie fever that's currently going on, I mean, you can get Jamison Crowder for quite cheap. So he's one of those guys that I would rather buy the dip on, knowing the fact that he's been one of those guys that if he hasn't wound up in terms of uh, wound up in the top 12 in terms of win rate regarding wide receivers of the past couple of seasons, just given the value of his talent, the value of what he can produce given his ADP, I would definitely like to see where he winds up at and he can continue to do that in 2021. Yeah, I have Jameson Crowder 10 spots above 
his positional ADP right now. On underdog, he's the wide receiver 70 behind some guys that are like absolute fringe starters like in real life. And I think that Jameson Crowder is an average slot receiver. I, I, I'm i not convinced that the Jets are going to have to cut him. I think there's a team, like you mentioned with the Titans, who could actually trade like a, a sixth or seventh round pick for him uh, after June 1. That's the date we kind of have to uh, look at. A lot of teams are going to be looking at the veterans uh, post-June 1 just for cap reasons. Yep. Um, but I think that Jamison Crowder is somebody that is – the market has gotten too carried away. You can't have it both ways where Elijah Moore and other Jets receivers are moving up and then Jamison Crowder is moving down because we're assuming Jamison Crowder gets moved. That means that Jamison Crowder is probably in a better landing spot. Like The worst-case scenario for Jamison Crowder is he stays – on the Jets and then slowly loses playing time to Elijah Moore. So I think if he does get cut or traded, that's uh, good news, not bad news. Right. And yeah. I think, and from what I'm seeing so far, I mean, Christian Kirk is getting drafted ahead of Jamison Crowder. Yes, I mean, please. I mean, really? I mean, what are we doing, folks? <laughs> yeah, I think I got him in the 14th round in my most recent best ball. And I'll take that. I'll take that all day. So. Mm-hmm. Very happy with that. Um, So uh, thank you for indulging my Movers and Shakers segment. Uh, but you are here to talk best ball, underdog tournaments, strategy leagues that uh, everyone should be getting a part of right now. Uh, Chris, since you're my, my favorite best ball guy, I'm going to let you just kind of take away our main segment. Folks, best ball season is in full swing. And as you're checking out draft lobbies, don't forget to use our promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4 at Underdog Fantasy. Underdog is the only place you can participate in the Best Ball Mania 2 tournament. They have daily, weekly, season-long, and pick'em format, so there's something for everyone. Use our code and play your first contest free, as well as offering a money-back guarantee up to $100. That's right, if you don't love it, you get your money back. Sign up today at 444.co slash underdog. Absolutely. And so, if anybody doesn't know, go ahead, log into Underdog. Check out, I mean, the one. I, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first things that pops up once you get into Underdog is the Best Ball Mania 2 that's going on right now. Over $1 million, $1 million and $1 to be exact. But if you want to join into this tournament, it's probably one of the things that if you pay attention to Twitter, look at any of the folks that are part of the Best Ball Streets, everybody's talking about their strategies, players that they're interested in, stacks that they're trying to get into. But Hayden, that's what we wanted to get on, get with you about this tonight. And Give us a chance to uh, to talk about the Best Ball Mania, the tournament itself, and also why it's so important for folks to kind of hop in and see if they can kind of throw some of their rosters at the tournament and see what they can do. Yeah, so it's the biggest Best Ball tournament ever, uh, $1,001,000. I believe the, the biggest one ever was $1,000,000 flat, so we... We'll give you an extra dollar out there if you take this thing home. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the good news is you can start drafting right now. And I think there are some advantages to drafting right now. It's a, First of all, it's a good way to t- kind of diversify your portfolio of players. Um, there's also, we're talking about some of these ADPs like Jameson Crowder. As you get closer to the season, ADP is going to be very sharp. But right now, since a lot of websites and a lot of people are still trying to figure out depth charts, if you're really grinding, I think there is an edge right now to find some sweet deals so um you can kind of just space out if you wanted to draft 10 teams this offseason draft two now draft two next month and then load up in july and august um but it's the biggest tournament ever and it's really fun how it um how you how you uh you you draft you don't have to set your lineups and then the regular seasons from weeks one through 14 and then in weeks 15 16 and 17 it's a uh, tournament where you have to advance and come in the top thing. So it's really all about stacking. Um, but the, the good news is you can draft right now. And if you don't find your favorite stack this draft, you can do a bunch later. Right. And 
Brandon, I wanted to get your take on this real quick because while you might not be in the best ball streets, like as deep as maybe like Hayden or myself or any like anybody else that might be listening to the show right now, I mean, how interested are you? I mean, as as even as a casual listener, seeing <laughs> seeing what's going on with all the hype regarding the best ball mania, you see folks like Pedro Rosette doing these like randomizer drafts. I mean, everybody posting up on their timeline about their rosters, strategies, this, that, and the other. I mean, has has that really captured your interest in terms of trying to get into this tournament and seeing if you can put together a roster that can win you $1 million and $1? Absolutely. You know, last year I got pretty heavily into it. Uh, when I say I'm not as much of a best ball, it's mostly because uh, I, I don't have as much of the theory background uh, behind it, and I also uh, don't quite have as much of a diverse uh, array of lineups on different sites. I pretty much just play best ball tens and underdog. Underdog is kind of the one that I go after. I like it's got self-contained drafts that are like three bucks. So I like to uh, knock those out to get an idea of ADP. And then I go in with those $25 entries into best ball media. And I'm usually pretty deep into that. So I love it. I, I love the format. I love the app. And uh, I like to listen to people like you, Chris, <laughs> tell me what kind of strategy to use. Right. And the I like that you mentioned the strategy portion and hated I wanted to get your take on it because if any of the folks that are out there that are really trying to get into the strategy behind winning such a tournament like Best Ball Mania, uh, Justin Herzig contributes over at Established to Run. Shout out to Evan Silva, Michael Leone, uh, Levitan, the folks over there at ETR. Um, Herzig won the best home media one, what, 200K, if I'm not mistaken, from, from last season. But he went with the hyper fragile build. And for folks that don't know that, hyper fragile, uh, it, it, it relies on a smaller number of running backs than most folks are typically comfortable with taking. I know Herzig went with a three quarterbacks, four running backs, two that were drafted in the early rounds, nine wide receivers, and two tight ends. Hayden, I wanted to get your take on that strategy that now, since Herzig used that strategy to win this past season, I've seen it gain more popularity on Twitter as of late. I've seen folks like Davis Maddock tweeting about it, Anthony Amico tweeting about it, Michael Leone also tweeting about it. So I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about like that particular strategy, if you think that that is the key to winning a tournament like this, or if you think that just try and stick to some of the fundamentals like stacking, grabbing the best values, reaching and being aggressive on players that you're planting flags on, if that is the better way or more optimal way of approaching a, a tournament like this. So to win this thing, you have to have the absolute nuts all the way through. So you can't make any mistakes, basically. And that means you basically can't punt a position off. So I don't think that zero RB necessarily would work in this format unless you plan on finding both of your zero RB targets uh, have like top five ceiling outcomes. And that's just really hard to do. So I think that zero RBs may be more effective if you're just drafting against 12 other people. But in these tournaments, you really have to get every single position, right? So um, when you're when you're studying like these Justin uh, Herzig lineups, what you kind of notice is, is he doesn't want to go too deep into any singular position. And I think that's kind of what uh, these hyper-fragile um, running back uh, rosters look like is that you just don't want to spend three early picks on running backs. You don't want to spend like six early picks on wide receivers because that means you're punting off the other positions. I like going for the more balanced approach 
but just in theory when you're when you're going through your your drafts you have to be assuming that you just nailed your first pick you nailed your second pick if you are trying to hedge against your early picks then you're kind of just punting uh expected value you have to be assuming you're right and then build your lineup as if okay let's say i got my like top three wide receivers all nailed. I don't want to be investing too many uh, into too many wide receivers in the next couple of picks. I want to go uh, figure out my tight end options, my quarterback options. So um, really, you just need to get every single position right. So I don't want you to be hedging at any of the spots at all. You kind of have to just go for it at all four positions. That's a great point. You bring up uh, the difference uh, in a in strategy from a tournament tournament style more to like a self contained draft. Uh, the self contained being those twelve you know twelve team leagues. Uh, and not the big tournament like a best ball mania. Uh, what what are some other differences? Like you said, like a zero strategy, uh, you know, might not be the best way to go in a tournament style. What are some other differences in your approach when you're going tournament versus self-contained? Yeah, so I think I would be more willing to uh, attack like four or five people in a stack um, just because you need, when you're advancing through the best ball mania too, you need to win week 15 you have to win week 16 and you have to win week 17. So you have to be kind of building your your draft as if you're trying to win a GPP. So the only way to do that is to stack multiple teams. So how I view it is I want at least two quarterbacks paired with at least two pass catchers from that offense. And if you look at Justin Herzig's team that won it last year, um, all three of his quarterbacks that he drafted, he had at least one of the pass catchers on that team. So I think that that is an absolute necessity you have to stack. I would at least find two quarterbacks paired with two pass catchers. And preferably one of those pass catchers can be a tight end because that position's so bad. And hopefully your quarterback to tight end stack in the playoffs, uh, they, those two find the end zone once or twice. Um, but yeah, just it really just comes down to how correlated you want your make you want to make your lineups. And basically the only way to do that in these tournaments is to stack within teams. I I 100% agree. And one of the things that I've been finding when it comes to attempting to stack is that it's easier for me to think through that process when I have more time to think. And with Underdog, Best Ball Mania, you have the option of either doing those drafts essentially live. You have, what, the 30-second pick timer, or you can do the slow timer pick. That's me personally. I mean, I don't know if that's the case for for either of you guys, but I want to be able to take a second, look at my roster, think about what I'm trying to do with it and then make a plan moving forward to make sure that I can create a stack, complete a stack, so on and so forth. But Hey, now wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, do you prefer, I mean, the, the format where it's just pick after pick after pick, or would you like to be able to sit back, look at the rest of the board, see what other strategies your opponents are trying to implement and then make your, uh, make your plan accordingly? Yeah. The more time you have on the clock, the better off, but I also kind of like, uh, a lot of people panic when you're doing the 30 second clock. And, I, and if you're paying attention and you've really thought this before you pressed draft, I think that you can take advantage of some people who are all of a sudden panicking or auto drafting their picks and then you're possibly getting more value. So um, either way, you can do a couple slow drafts and then like every couple hours you got something to do and you get that email. Um, or if you just wanted like just join a draft uh, like on a Tuesday evening, that works too. But I do think that there's, pros and cons to both i, I kind of like watching people panic on the live drafts though <laughs> i'm with you and i do better in the, in the the fast drafts like i like the slow drafts better i just uh it, it's easier for me it fits my schedule but the the fast drafts i like to sprinkle some of those in there because like you said 
Like you, you don't always get the same savvy drafters. You get some panicking. You get some people that aren't as uh, adjusted to drafting on the fly. And I usually do better in those leagues. See, yeah. and, like both of y'all have both mentioned the panic drafters. So I feel like you guys are subtweeting me like in real time <laughs> because that essentially winds up being me where it's like, I'll see the fact that I couldn't complete a stack or there's a guy that I was trying to target in the draft and I can't get him. So then I'm trying to think of, well, what was my plan B? What was my plan C? And then I wind up auto-drafting Deshaun Watson like towards the back end of the draft. Actually, I was doing a, I was doing a draft with, uh, it was during one of the shows that John Daigle and Ian Harditz are doing. And I think it was my very last pick right after I sniped Chris Herndon from, uh, from Ian, I wound up taking, I wound up, uh, like I was like cackling to myself being like, Oh great. And then once I looked back up, I was on the clock, two seconds left auto draft to Sean Watson, my last pick. <laughs> of course. So of course. tilting. I thought my draft was pretty solid up until that, that the very last pick. But then after that, I was like, Oh my gosh, I completely ruined it. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, we, I mean, we've talked about it. Anybody that's going into this tournament knows that they need to at least have some idea regarding correlation throughout their entire roster. But can you talk to us a bit about some of the, like just stacking in general and some of the stacks that you're really interested in? I know that you and Josh, you guys went through almost an entire pod trying to map out some of the stacks that you're interested in the high priced ones what was it though what did you guys call it what was the white cloth or whatever options yeah. that you guys are doing and then all the way down to some of the value stacks that you might be able to get late so let's say like a zach wilson chris herndon like type of stack so what are you looking at when it comes to stacking in best ball yeah so the first thing is i want to pair the early round receiver that i take with the quarterback and then in a perfect world you attach the tight end to that so like a, a go-to stack would be like uh, you drafted Terry McLaurin, then you draft Logan Thomas, and then you get Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then if you wanted to get really fancy in the last round, you draft Diami Brown. And that's like the perfect um, way to stack things out is pick your wide receiver and then pick find that quarterback later in the draft. Um, but the one thing I want to caution is to is people reaching to complete their stacks. And I think in best ball mania too, you have to be willing to take on some risk and kind of wait on the quarterback to fall or wait on that other receiver to fall. Because if you keep reaching to complete your stacks, well, guess what? Somebody else next week is going to draft that same uh, two receivers and quarterback that you just drafted. But though they got all of those guys around later than you. So how are you supposed to compete? So in these tournaments... I find myself really willing to wait for that stack to kind of fall into my lap. And one of the other kind of bonus things that I've noticed is, let's say you've drafted DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in rounds like two and rounds five, wherever they're going. Nobody else in the draft lobby has any incentive to draft Russell Wilson, right? So what I kind of find myself doing is, if I'm debating between Russell Wilson or a skill position in like the sixth and seventh round, I'll draft the skill position guy and then bet on the rest of the lobby kind of sitting there. And they're like, well, I haven't drafted any Seahawks. Why would I draft Russell Wilson here? That'd be kind of a waste. And you can kind of really let the stack fall to you. But just in, in general, you cannot go reaching for stacks just because everyone tells you to complete your stacks. Because the, the reality is somebody else that's going to be drafting in another draft lobby is going to have that same ex exact stack, but just at, at, at better values. And you can't compete with that. I, I do agree with that. And another point, and I was just thinking about this the other day, is that because so many folks are taking such a QB-centric approach to their drafts, 
And by QB centric, I mean that they're thinking about, well, I'm going to wind up having to pay up for quarterbacks because because the market is so focused on I need a running quarterback. I need a quarterback that's going to be passing a lot in neutral passing, uh, neutral passing situations. So they want to invest in the Jalen Hurts. They want to invest in the Justin Herberts, even Matthew Stafford to some degree. Matt Ryan, if you want to tack him onto the back end of, of that group. But I think that there's still some... Uh, I guess there's some value in looking into some of the guys that are attached to quarterbacks that don't, that aren't as hyped as some of those guys. And I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why some of those wide receivers are slipping. Like look at the Pittsburgh Steelers guys. I mean, every one of those guys, every one of those wide receivers, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, I mean, available at very affordable costs. And one of the things that I'm trying to reconcile in my head is, is it because they're attached to a quarterback that, especially at this point in time, he's being drafted as what, QB 25, QB 26, because he doesn't have the, say, that has zero, like, mobility, and we're wondering if it's, is he going to hit that cliff, is he going to have zero value, in terms of like quarterbacking in, in general, and so that's why some of their ADPs are suppressed. Same thing with the Browns guys. Baker Mayfield, we think about the Cleveland Browns attached to a Kevin Stefanski offense, who actually over the last four to five weeks of this past season, 61-62% neutral passing rate. But we think about the Cleveland Browns offense, run heavy, don't want to pass all too often. So you can get guys like uh, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, even if you want to throw a shot at Rashard Higgins. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Austin Hooper. I mean, all those guys, those are stacks that are available much later in your drafts, but that's likely, at least in my mind, because they are attached to quarterbacks that we're not as interested in as in terms of at least one of the, the guys that we would want to draft in our, on our best ball rosters, even though they are a part of good offenses. I mean, Cleveland Browns, you have to think after their draft, their Super Bowl odds had to have increased at this point. They have to be one of those guys that if you are trying to draft for uh, trying to get into the playoffs or something of uh, something like that they are one of those teams that should be fighting for that playoff spot so they should be producing like towards the back end of the season so i'm just wondering if that's something that is a part of why we can get some of those stacks that we're trying to harness or that the production we're trying to harness towards the back end of the season so we obviously want to be drafting dual threat quarterbacks when in doubt, but I don't think that we're fooling anybody. I think like everybody that's that are in these drafts know that rushing value for quarterbacks is super important. And just for example, Justin Herzig, the team that won it last year, his quarterbacks were Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Joe Burrow. Like that, there's not too much rushing production between those three quarterbacks. So it's not the only path. I do think that um, because the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen's, Kyler's, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott. Because they're dual threat quarterbacks, that means that you, the bar is just higher to clear. So the only way to kind of combat that, to me, is to draft two or three quarterbacks kind of in that Matt Ryan to Baker Mayfield range. And you just have to just play the matchups or let the the, the computer pick the matchups for you. But I don't think you can get away with just saying, all right, my two quarterbacks this year are going to be Matthew Stafford and Big Ben, you're just going to be losing to the Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson teams every single week. But I do think that there is a little middle ground where if you wanted to wait a little bit and then you just double-clicked Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, and then Baker Mayfield in the mid-rounds, I think there's between those three quarterbacks, you can make up the, the ground that the Josh Allen team's getting that just because he's averaging 26 points. So I think that's the, the big difference the last couple of years is 
now instead of drafting two pocket quarterbacks later, I think that you need to draft three or two of the really good ones. Like maybe you can get away with Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, um, which and just banking on those offenses. But I think in 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 a perfect world, you go like Stafford, Brady with Baker Mayfield now. I'm kind of uh, looking in that seventh round area. You know, last year I was looking sixth round. Uh, if a guy like Dak Prescott slipped to sixth, then I was taking him. Uh, this year, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Jalen Hurts. I'm finding their ADP is is sixth round, but usually uh, one of them will be there in the seventh. And so I've been kind of planning like a deeper stack uh, by just basically saying I'm going to take one of those three in the seventh round, and then I'll grab one of their pass catchers like Gerald Everett, or I'll you know grab uh, t- t- Jalen Rager, somebody like that later and then I'm focusing on that receiver quarterback thing like you mentioned uh taking advantage of early drafters right now because somebody like Justin Fields is going at the end of under of underdog drafts you can get Allen Robinson in the third and then take Justin Fields before the hype catches up and he's probably starting by week six so if he's my quarterback too I'm pretty happy about that any specific targets that you're going to uh toward kind of along the lines of what I'm talking about yeah, so the two teams that I like stacking right now and the white tablecloth stack, as we referenced earlier, is the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, I think he's being drafted as a quarterback four. I'm expecting a rebound from his passing numbers solely because of Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman is a great prospect if you watch him on film. He's a great prospect if you run through a model. He also is just the missing ingredient that this Ravens team hasn't had uh, their entire receiver core last year was either really small or they were old guys that can't get open. So Rashad Bateman is neither of those. I think he's going to be somebody that's going to be targeted within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage is way more reliable than a Marquise Brown. So I think that the Ravens are going to be incentivized to pass the ball more. And I think we're going to see their neutral pass rates jump up just because Rashad Bateman's providing that element that the 2019 or 2020 Ravens didn't have so I, I want to be kind of going with Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Rashad ba- Bateman as a stack, and then the other one would be the the Rams for kind of the reasons why I was on Tyler Higby earlier in the show. Um, I just think that I want to be betting on Sean McVay if possible, and I think that people kind of overestimate just how good of a fantasy asset Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are every year, and. Uh, you can draft one of those guys. Matthew Stafford's pretty affordable, and Tyler Higby is pretty affordable. So that's a if I can draft the, a Lamar Jackson stack and a Ram stack in a draft, I'm I'm really happy about that. Absolutely. And to your point, Hayden, um, I did a quick look at the areas of the field where Bateman and uh, Tylen Wallace, who the the Ravens also drafted, uh, noted wide receiver expert uh, Matt Harmon had indicated that for both Bateman and Wallace, they ex- they excelled at like out digs and curl routes, so like those intermediate routes. And compared to uh, the current receiving core, that was actually uh, three of the routes that the Ravens pass catchers from last season were the most inefficient at. So in terms yeah. of EPA per play, I mean, they were the most, like the least efficient at some of those intermediate routes. But then if you look at some of those shorter routes, screens, slants, and flats, all, I mean, all great. But then especially once you get to some of those deeper routes, I mean, that's where, I mean, Lamar was connecting with Marquise Browns down the field on those post corner routes, things of that nature. So it's interesting that the Ravens would go out and select receivers that excelled in those areas where they knew they were deficient at. So while I'm not expecting the fact that they're going to turn into, let's say, like the 2020 Buffalo Bills, I do think that there's a there's a case to be made that their neutral passing rate should tick up to the point where Lamar Jackson's recoil should be one that we should be able to reap the benefits of from a fantasy perspective. 
Totally agree. Totally agree there. And I just love Bateman as a player. Like I, I, I watched him and I see like a Terrell Owens with speed. Like I just, I love that kid. I'm, I'm, I'm with you completely. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I want to ask you a quick question. I, this is, I, I don't think this is very consequential to be honest, but most people ask this question or are wondering how it affects it. Um, I'm not really changing my strategy, but the fact that the season is going to 17 weeks, uh, 17 games and 18 weeks, uh, I know underdog tournaments go through week 17. This season, I, does that change your strategy at all, the extra game? Chris, you're going to have to help me out here. I couldn't really think of a, a major reason um, to how it would, would affect drafts other than the one you kind of brought up about how the Browns are going to be in it um, just because their team's better. And I think that with another game added on, obviously some teams are going to get eliminated earlier in the season. So maybe, I don't know, a fringe player on a on the Texans or something might get uh, sat late in the year, like a Brandon Cooks, for example, where um, Odell Beckham we know is going to be in the lineup. That's like the best reason I can come up with uh, to tinker with it. Do you have anything? Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm leaning as well. It's like if we're if you want to, and, and this actually might be almost considered pseudoscience at this point, but if we think that there's a chance that if you look at win totals at this particular point, and the Texans, what, they're what at what three and a half, something like that, and most folks are yeah. still betting the under as they should be. But if we think that there's a chance that a lot of players, like either experienced vets, uh, guys that are like wide receiver threes, four, somewhere in that range, they might get cycled out for rookies, like towards the back end of the season because they know that their teams are going to be bad. That could sway me, or at least it could be at least used as a tiebreaker for looking at a different fringe player later on in my draft. But for the most part, I would like to stick to, uh, I would like to at least let variants take the wheel at that point and draft players as I normally would. But if you want to use it as a tiebreaker and say that, well, because it's a longer season, wear and tear, blah, 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 uh, there might be a chance that this player might get sat as they move into the playoffs. That kind of makes sense to me. But at this point, on what, May 14th, I'll, I'll at least try and take, let variants, uh, at least uh, take the, like, let variants take the wheel and I'll, I'll make my decisions as I normally would without taking the 17 game season into account. That makes sense. So to wrap up, Hayden, I know that we, uh, we talked about quarterbacks, uh, with, but the other onesie position, obviously, and like, we've been onesie position, obviously, and like, we've been talking about like different, uh, like, and I know you mentioned Tyler Higby already, but how are you approaching like the tight end position? Because I know most folks, uh, shout out to Jed Akins, like our, uh, like our tight end expert over at four for four, uh, how are you approaching the tight end uh, position this season? Because we have the guys up front, the Kittles, the Wallers, the Kelseys. We've got some of the guys towards the middle, Goddard, Hawkinson, Andrews, and even the late round guys that if you squint, you can see the possible production for some of those guys <laughs> as well. I mean, whether it's Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, Anthony Ferkser, or whomever. I mean, it almost seems like and this could be me trying to put the rosy, like the rosy glasses on over top of this season. But it seems like at every phase of the draft, we've got a tight end that could be useful. I mean, we could use Adam Troutman this season and just be happy about it from a best ball perspective. But how are you approaching the tight end position in 2021? So I want to only draft two tight ends. I think the one strategy I just do not want to find myself in is in, is drafting the tight end 12, the tight end 14, and then the tight end 18. I think you're using too many of the roster spots, and you don't know if any of those guys are going to be good in the first place. So 
My ideal draft would be like Darren Waller plus Adam Troutman or Mark Andrews plus Anthony Ferkser. Draft one of the elite or semi-elite tight ends and then go with the upside shot of Anthony Ferkser or Adam Troutman um, later in the draft. I just don't want to be putting too much into the position overall because it's such a hit and miss position. And honestly, like if something happened to Travis Kelsey this year, the difference between a Mark Andrews and the tight end 10 isn't so big that's going to cost you much. So I don't want to, the big goals, I just don't want to be uh, taking away roster spots that could be spent on wide receivers or running backs to actually have ceilings. So just give me the safe route. I'll take your Hawkinson plus Ferkser and call it a day. I think Ooh, that, Hawkinson yeah. in the sixth round. Hawkinson in the sixth round. That's kind of juicy. I didn't notice his ADP had gone sixth round in underdog leagues. I kind of like that. I do kind of like that as well. And actually, quick question for you, Hayden. I wanted to see what your thoughts are. I know that everybody has the same top three. I mean, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. I don't think anybody's really arguing about the top three. But just a nitpick. I mean, do you have Waller as your tight end two at this point? I've heard the case to be made about the fact that there's less competition for targets as compared to what Kittle is facing there in San Francisco. I mean, do you agree with that? Would you put Waller as your tight end two, or would you just be happy with getting any one of those three at the top end of your draft? Yeah, so I, I, I want to be targeting all three of these guys, but I think out of the three where they're being drafted, I like Waller the best, and I do have Waller as my tight end two over George Kittle. I think that people are very excited about Trey Lance and for the right reasons. But Trey Lance is a a legit running quarterback. And if you look at what North Dakota State did, he only threw the ball 18 times per game. Obviously, it's going to be higher than that in the NFL. But I think that people are drafting George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, all of them as if it's going to be the same offense as Jimmy G, where they're passing the ball a little more uh, balanced than what the 49ers would be, which I'm expecting to be really run heavy, like probably top Uh, top three in neutral run rate this year so I like Waller just in a more balanced uh, more probably a pass heavier team in general this year just because their defense is so bad and I know he's the alpha so you can make that make the argument that George Kittle is the best actual tight end in the game but I think the Raiders are probably going to pass the ball probably 50 plus more times by the end of the year compared to the 49ers and Darren Waller was awesome last year so I think that uh, he deserves to be the tight end too right now. Like, it's the offseason, but I'm pretty sure Darren Waller is still getting 10 targets every Sunday. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, hey, really appreciate your time. We won't take any more of it today. Everyone be sure to follow Hayden on Twitter, at Hayden Winks. Listen to the Underdog Football Show wherever you get your podcast. Go sign up at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, use the promo code 4 for 4 uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. Anything else you want to say or plug before we go? Yeah, one quick rule. Uh, if you're in Underdog Drafts, I think the golden rule is draft four wide receivers by round eight. I don't care how you get there if you draft one early, but I would not wait until round nine to find your fourth receiver. That's when best ball rates completely plummet. So um, if you're, I don't care if you draft running back, running back to start, just make sure you have your fourth receiver by round eight.
And I'm taking notes. I've got that written down. <laughs> All right. And uh, Chris, thank you as well as always. Any final thoughts? No, I 100% agree with Hayden. I mean, huge shout out to him for taking the time before he heads off to the sunny beaches of Hawaii. Uh, so again, thanks so much, Hayden, for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, hopefully we'll see you. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, can, will we see you in the lobbies at all? I mean, are you allowed to do that? No, I, I can't. I can't play. But Josh and I are going to be doing best ball streams every um like every Tuesday once I get back. So um, we watch the drafts. We'll probably have you on for a draft eventually, Chris. Uh, but no, I you will not see my name in the lobby, unfortunately. All right. Well, either way, I mean, uh, sign up for Underdog. I mean, hop into these best ball made. You'll find me in some of the lobbies. Brandon as well. I mean, yeah. so again, thanks again for coming on with us, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, everyone, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good day.